Welcome to Your Infinite Health. Are you getting older? Are you feeling it? How would you like to do that in reverse? We're your host, Dr. Tripp, and Lene. We've run an integrative medicine practice for 13 years. Together, we have 60 years of combined experience helping clients. We've helped tens of thousands achieve success in health and live longer, happier lives. In this show, we'll cover peer-reviewed and evidence-based integrative approaches to creating the health you've always wanted. We also share professional experience we see in the field every day. So if you're ready to feel, look, and live your best life, you're in the right place. Welcome to your Infinite Health Podcast. So, trip. <laughs> yes, Lene. Do you know why Waldo insists on wearing stripes? No, why? Because he doesn't want to be spotted. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so funny. So, getting into what we're going to talk about today. I had someone who shall not be named kind of not really ask a question, but make an erroneous allegation that testosterone causes heart attacks. And that's not the first time I've heard somebody say that and have that wrong idea of testosterone. So I thought we could kind of address some of the myths that are out there sure, and talk about the real benefits for testosterone. I thought we'd start with like the focus on testosterone for men. Okay. And then if we have time, we could talk about testosterone for women because, you know, there's some nuances there on the difference between when a woman would need it versus a man and what happens and all that good stuff. So does that sound like a plan? Sounds fine to me. Okay, cool. So, does testosterone cause heart attacks? <laughs> well, no. Testosterone does not cause heart attacks. Uh, I think the, there have been multiple studies over over the years that have tried to look at the adverse effects of testosterone, and none of them, even meta-analyses, have never shown testosterone to be the cause of heart attacks. Those are, I guess there was some, a number of years ago, there was a study performed that was fairly poorly, poorly done. It was performed by some, I think, a, some urologist, a urology department at an academic center that was poorly controlled and, and it raised that issue. But the, after significant review of the information and the, the statistical assessment of that trial, it was found to be a very poorly conducted trial. And How so? Just the, by the statistical analyses and by the, how they incorporated the patients into the trial. So that, that raised a number of questions. It was, it's almost like the same question as, well, maybe not to the same degree as testosterone and prostate cancer. For years, I guess, the, when you look back historically at uh, testosterone, its uh, claim to claim to fame really was in the advent of 
prostate cancer and blocking testosterone, blocking the effects of testosterone by orchiectomy, bilateral orchiectomy. And, and bilateral orchiectomy? Yes, removal of the testicles. Okay. So Tracy in Wisconsin needed to know what that, oh. what that meant. Yeah, orchiectomy. So orchiectomy. Removal of the testicles. And so at any rate, and there was, I think, following that, there was one, an anecdotal case that was published in a journal somewhere along the way in the 1930s or something that, that impugned testosterone as causing prostate cancer. And so that the misinterpretation of that, that case became the status quo for for worrying about testosterone causing causing prostate cancer and over the years so it was adopted as fact eventually adopted as fact and then it has taken a number of years and with some thoughtful studies to to prove that testosterone actually does not cause prostate cancer so those those same issues i think as we look at the good data that's that's been published we actually find that that those presumptions are not true you find that maybe some older physicians like general practitioners or pcps that maybe don't have the time or the wherewithal to stay current on studies like that do you find that they perpetuate bad information to their patients well, I think most doctors uh, we know that for we know that to for physicians to adopt a new modality of of treatment it takes an average of seventeen years for that to become for new treatment modalities to become accepted and commonplace in medicine so that being said the reasoning for that is that most physicians that have very busy practices have very little time to renew information that maybe they don't have they don't have the occasion to use as often and so that so that their thought processes and their explanations to patients very often are clouded with clouded with old information so the answer was yes yes <laughs> the short answer yes the short answer is yes <laughs> yeah that's unfortunate okay well so a patient really needs to Again, take ownership of their health and ask the questions. It's so important. Yeah. And it's so important to, to give them to have the right team of, of practitioners helping them achieve their goals. So when does a dude need to start, I don't know, need or want, or when is it beneficial for a dude to start thinking about uh, testosterone replacement therapy? Well, we know as our bodies age that the production of many hormones in the bodies tends to taper off progressively which it, which is the origin of many many problems not just testosterone but many other hormones but all of these changes result in symptoms that can be suspect for being a associated with a lack of one or the other hormones so Testosterone, very often the, the first symptoms that we see are lack of focus, decreased stamina, 
memory challenges with memory and those types of things rather than it's not the libido libido is very often the very last thing to go when one thinks of testosterone it's much more often just the focus and the clarity of thought and decision making that is the very first thing that that men experience and is that like how young could they be like well in my practice in my practice I've had patients as young as their late 20s have testosterone deficiency, yeah. And that may be brought on also by, you don't know that some younger men obviously wanting to do bodybuilding and things like that sometimes use the androgens that are much stronger than testosterone. Like what? Well, there are a number of them and they're, they... Well, okay, wait. Tracy in Wisconsin wants to know what an androgen. Testosterone is an androgen. Okay. So it's a male, a male hormone, so to speak. So there, the there are synthetic versions of that. Oh. That that are ten hundredfold stronger than testosterone. So what people are getting, like on the black market or something. Right, and those things, are the typically the the bodybuilders were the first users of those trying to build build muscle and to get the beneficial effects for their competitions and and those things unfortunately have adverse effects on the function of the testicles so very often if there there's protracted use of those things they'll result in well result in the absence of the ability of the of the testicles to produce testosterone semen and those things so okay so what was my next question so a guy can be in his early 20s. We actually had a patient, Chad, came for those kinds of issues, mm-hmm. loss of what you said, loss of focus. Focus and stamina and kind of memory issues. And that was affecting his ability to perform mm-hmm. uh, at work, right? Right. Because he was, what, like a junior sales executive or a junior executive he wasn't in sales but he was oh. a junior executive junior executive and having issues with memory and focus and so when he came to you i guess testosterone was one one component of his optimization process right did you find that he was low in testosterone yes he was he was but he was he had a number of other minor hormones and um, he was thyroid deficient also he had some challenges with his thyroid at the same time. So he had multiple things that were playing a role in his performance decline. So not just the testosterone, but once you got him optimized, he was doing better at work. Yeah, it did a lot better at work. And close to $25 million yeah. account for his company. As I recall, he was really excited six about months. that. Yeah, about six months after. And he attributed the his performance not only to the to the optimization process, well, to the optimization process, including the mind-body program, because it gave him pause to think a little bit differently about the challenges in his life. Cool. And at work, for that matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay, so now we know that testosterone does not cause heart attacks or prostate cancer, but a couple of other things I wanted to talk on. One is this idea, because you could have guys like Chad go to a PCP or, or somewhere and run a lab, and probably Chad would have been told that his levels were normal, but you did not find his levels are normal. So I want to kind of touch on 
this idea of normal as it relates to testosterone versus what is really optimal. Right. So looking at optimal levels, I think we know that from a couple of studies that were retrospectively reviewed for the implications of testosterone and cardiovascular health, for example, and the complications of deteriorating cardiovascular health. We know that that in large numbers, if the if the testosterone levels remain relatively close to the normal levels that men have from the ages of 18 to 25, those levels are actually associated with significantly fewer complications of cardiovascular health than those individuals with even 20% less. And for example, in the Framingham study, it was done years ago for Lipitor, I think. They, they reviewed, I think it was 50,000 or 100,000 individuals and found that they could divide into quintiles, so 20% decreasing concentrations in the, in the blood that actually, as that declined, there was significantly increasing recurrence of events in the, that population, in each one of those segment populations. So we know that by virtue of similar data elsewhere, that, that those levels of testosterone, if we maintain them in that optimum range, that upper 20 percentile range, that men function significantly better and have significantly better metabolic profiles. For example, cholesterol in the lipid profile is significantly better and actually improves progressively with optimization of testosterone levels. So you take a man that has a testosterone level of 350, which is in the normal range. Is that dependent in a normal range based on like his height, weight, and age or what? That's the normal range for the population at large. So huh. you don't know if that's those what other medical challenges those individuals may have had at the time that those that those levels were measured. But we know, for example, diabetics and obese individuals have significantly lower testosterone than than people that are near the ideal body composition. So, but back to this, looking at cholesterol and abnormal lipid levels in, in the blood, which predisposed to cardiovascular risk, we actually, we actually know that along the course of optimized testosterone levels, giving testosterone replacement therapy in those individuals, we know that, that progressively over the course of 18 months, those cholesterol levels will very often come back into an optimum range. So very often those individuals with those high cholesterol levels with abnormal testosterone may actually may not need a medication to control their cholesterol levels once their hormones are optimized. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, really cool. And that's why I have very few people on uh, cholesterol lowering medications in the practice. Really? Yeah. Okay. And the other thing I wanted to touch on, though, is because we do have a patient who seems to be all about testosterone and not interested in doing anything else and just kind of wants to get eight weeks worth of testosterone and injections and not spend any time with you or not be followed up on. And so I kind of want to talk about the importance of having that physician interaction and watching those levels and what 
can anything happen if the levels go beyond optimal to like, maybe they're not low, but they're over high. And are there issues with that? And why is it important for people like that particular dude to, <laughs> right. Uh-huh. To, to make sure that they are in consistent contact, I guess, and having the conversations and doing the labs consistently. Cause I know a lot of places, other places that like, Oh, we're, we do testosterone for men and they only check those levels like once a year. Okay. So that's like five or six questions. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> so, do your best. <laughs> so just starting at the beginning, I guess like any other hormone or metabolite in our bodies, our body, depending on what we do and how active we are and how old we are and different things, multiple different things impact on the the necessary quantity of those substances in our body. So, and it's continually changing. So our, we're never, I mean, if we did the exact same thing every day, we might have the same requirements every day, but that's not the case. So first and foremost, the quantity of testosterone, because that's what we're talking about, the quantity of testosterone necessary for any individual changes all the time on a daily basis, let's say. So that's one thing. And so if you have somebody that's that has a job that that is fairly sedentary it doesn't require a lot of uh, a lot of physical activity and then all of a sudden after they've been on testosterone and well regulated on testosterone for a month or two or three or whatever and they they decide well I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to run a marathon and they start training for a marathon well their consumption of testosterone is going to increase significantly so whatever you, he or she was receiving at the time when they started, it's not going to be the same requirement again as they increase their training for their marathon or for their triathlon or for their, even if they've taken up hobby tennis or whatever, or bicycle riding. All of those things require, will require and consume more, more testosterone. So based on just based on that simple fact, the levels will, will, the levels and the dosing required will change. Additionally, I think the if you're thinking about, many people think that testosterone is, and testosterone is a star player, it does a lot of things, but and results in a lot of physiologic improvements, so it prevents cardiovascular disease, it causes a little bit of vasodilation, decreases blood pressure, it causes, it's cardioprotective, it protects against, protects against dementia and and a number of numerous other pathologies that if it's in a suboptimal range, those disease processes are much more frequent. Diabetes, for example, testosterone is enhances our body's ability to, to respond to insulin. So somebody who is testosterone deficient is going to be much more likely to be diabetic than somebody who's not. And that's what happens in obesity. Obesity decreases and impairs testosterone production. So you end up with lower levels of testosterone and and then that impairs the ability. Not only does the obesity cause inflammation and increase our body's resistance to to insulin, but it also decreases decreases testosterone, which enhances that resistance. So you're, all of these things interact and they're all important. 
But uh, the other thing about being seen regularly following regular levels and things like that are is the fact that that other hormones, there are other smaller minor players that intervene in the testosterone's ability to create a response. And so those levels need to be monitored and assessed and optimized. And many of my patients who, who get the best results are understand that and understand the impact of these different hormones and metabolites in their being present to optimize that those outcomes. And lastly, there's a segment of the population that genetically have have impaired androgen receptors, androgen again, the testosterone receptor inside the cells. So they require higher levels, actually higher levels of testosterone to achieve the same outcomes because the androgen receptor doesn't work as well. So all of these things have to be monitored and followed. And and people who, who think that, well, I think many physicians are unaware of these little caveats and they give the testosterone. They, Lord knows I've fielded many of those patients as second opinions and optimized, subsequently optimized them. But giving testosterone every two weeks, for example, is ridiculous. At the end of the two weeks, you have no testosterone left or you're back down to that basal level that you were before. So these things are the administration of testosterone, the frequency, the, the follow-up, the keeping, keeping patients aware of these, of these issues is very important for optimum testosterone therapy. So kind of going a little over, and, but I have one more question. I'm probably not going to like this question, but I think it's relevant. Pellets. <laughs> Because <laughs> we get sometimes patients or prospective patients call and ask if we do pellets, and I know you you have a particular opinion on that. So I, I'm not opposed to the pellets. I think that they're a reasonable means of administration for those people who who have lifestyles that are that are that require require prolonged prolonged therapies like that. I am, however, I. However, like the flexibility of, a, of intermittent dosing so that you can adjust and adapt to the, to the levels necessary. Now, many people, many men and women who get the pellets have, have active lifestyles and want to, don't want the inconvenience of, of, the, of doing the shots intermittently. But we know that it's the flexibility and the, the precision of doing once a week to sometimes even I have a, a few patients that are doing it even three times a week to maintain that flexibility and get, get the best control over their needs. Also, very often women will end up with excessive doses, excessive levels of testosterone, although we don't know besides the common side effects of testosterone changes in voice, androgenic um, changes in the hair distribution in women and, and those things, either too much hair or too little hair in the wrong places, they, they, those things are more difficult to control if you have a pellet in place and you're anticipating that pellet is going to last four months and give you four months of levels. And on the average, a woman with a testosterone pellet will run a level of anywhere from two to 350. And men, likewise, can be dosed so that their levels are excessive also. So you end up more in a in a level of androgenic, synthetic androgen stimulation as opposed to physiologic androgen stimulation. 
Huh. We may have to go, may have to take a separate episode on, on that specifically and go a little deeper, maybe. And I think we've run out of time. So we will have to do another episode specifically because I wanted to touch on testosterone as it relates to women in their various stages. But right. do not get into that right now. So listener, you'll have to just, if you're a woman and you want to have these answers, hope to just join us in the next episode. And until then, stay healthy. Thanks for subscribing to Your Infinite Health. I'm Dr. Tripp. And I'm Lynne. Until next time, feel it, look it, and live it. <laughs>